the, the patrol goes into isolation, so no one else knows what's going on. And any information you need is brought to you, like, you know, imagery, you know, satellite imagery, any of that sort of stuff. So what happens, the whole patrol sit down and everybody's encouraged to come up with their ideas. And because you're in that bubble, you can come up, you're encouraged to come up with a load of old crap. It doesn't matter because it'll bounce out a different idea or a better idea. And, and you can criticize each other because it doesn't go anywhere because everybody understands that it's got to be a success whether it's a physical success or it's a success because we all come back to life. Everybody can give their tuppence worth in and you start developing a plan, but there is a time when the patrol commander goes, right, this is what we're going to do. And it could be something that hasn't got any ideas from the rest of the patrol, but that doesn't matter because the patrol understands there must be a plan, there must be a leader, there must be a time where you just shut up and accept what's going to happen. So uh, and you get on with the job. Now, after the job, when you go into debrief, you can go, well, what we did was a load of crap because this, that, and that, what we should have done is this. But it's done in the forum of, as I've spoken before, where people are coming together to try and make it better next time for other people. Hello there and a very warm welcome or welcome back to the podcast. My name is Steve Ingham. I'm an applied scientist and leader from the world of high performance sport. And on the podcast, I explore all aspects of human performance, whether that is getting stronger, fitter, mentally more prepared, eating better, playing better, leading and coaching in different ways, but also how we perform in work individually and as teams. And the way I do that is by speaking with great scientists, practitioners, researchers, coaches, athletes and entrepreneurs. I'm also keen to talk to people from outside of sports, people who are just interested in how we perform as humans. If you enjoy the podcast, then please do share it with friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe. And if you want to support and champion us, then please do leave a review on iTunes. This week's guest is Andy McNabb. So Andy is perhaps the most recognisable name of any special forces operator in the world. Andy served in the Royal Green Jackets in Northern Ireland, where he was awarded the Military Medal for Gallantry. And he entered the Special Air Services in 1984 and worked on both covert and overt operations, including counterterrorism and drug operations in the Middle East, Far East, South and Central America and Northern Ireland. And he's perhaps best known for commanding an eight-man SAS patrol designated Bravo 2-0 in Iraq, which he wrote about in the book bearing the same name. In the book, he tells of a mission that was compromised and that actually led to three of the eight dying and four, including Andy, being captured, held and tortured for six weeks. I wanted to talk to Andy about his choices to join the military, what selection felt like for the special forces and what qualities they were selected for. And Andy, as you'd expect, tells it like it is. There is a clarity of understanding about what is required, how you undertake highly specialised manoeuvres, and how you achieve high performance under the intensity of combat. But this isn't all just aggression and attack, although there's a bit of that. Listen carefully and you'll hear a profound lesson in how you select people, how you train people to perform and how you deliver when it matters. 
We also discussed the finding that Andy is a diagnosed psychopath, or more specifically, a functioning psychopath. How he found out, what that meant for his military performance, as well as how understanding that has helped him engaged more effectively in day-to-day life using emojis. It'll all become clear in a minute. It was an honour to speak to Andy. Not everything in Special Forces applies to our sporting and working lives, but here are some super interesting insights in this conversation, of which I have no doubt you could apply. And it certainly, it certainly offers a contrast. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Andy, uh, what a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Um, what a what a true treat. How are you? I'm very well. All good. Bit wet and miserable down here, but all good. <laughs> I, I'd say it's good to see you. Uh, which probably isn't relevant for people listening, um, but equally I can see you. But we're going to blur your your face yeah. out for for the yeah. video. But um, no, that's not that's not a gimmick, is it, Andy? There's a real substance no. behind no, that. It's staying anonymous. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's basically because of the um, some of the operations that was involved in uh, during the time in, in in the special air service, particularly to do with Northern Ireland, and because um, I worked as a uh, an undercover operator uh, for two years uh, living in Derry, which is the, the second city in, in, in Northern Ireland. And um, the uh, the problem that I've got is showing my face not only puts myself in danger after those sort of operations, certainly uh, people that still live there, you know, particularly in sort of the, the, the special branch, uh, that the, obviously they, they, they live in, in Northern Ireland themselves. So it's really being protective about that. And, um, you know, I, I get death threats. I, the, the, you know, the last serious one, you get the fruits, you know, all that sort of stuff. But the last uh, uh, serious one was, was um, uh, uh, two Octobers ago. Right. So, it's just, yeah, it's just being sensible. That's all. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Now, look, you, you've done some truly incredible, unimaginable things for a lot of people, frightening potentially, and, and distressing. Um, and you're incredibly successful as a writer communicating what it's like being in the Special Forces. And But you're one of the few people who've chosen to be trained um, and needing to perform in that those most dangerous situations. What What's contributed to you having the capability and the capacity to confront dangerous situations and perform at that level? I think it was well, certainly it was the um, I served eight years in the in the infantry before I done uh, and then served ten years in in special air service. I think being being in the infantry uh, uh, helped bit, uh, quite a lot, as in if you like pre conditioning, if you like. Okay. Um, uh, uh, you know, if you're looking at hardships, that that all that sort of stuff, you know, that that we read. Well, uh, I was, you know, I was, I was basically in care until I was five. I was, I was, I was. Then I was adopted. I lived in uh, an housing estate. Then I joined the well, and then landed up in juvenile detention. Then I landed uh, up in the army. So, if you like, the physical hardships are not are not too much of a, a problem because you're used to. Like you know, being wet, cold, and hungry, and you know, I don't know, getting beaten up on Saturday night trying to protect your kebab from somebody trying to nick it in the garrison <laughs> town. You know, all that, all that, all that sort of stuff. Um, so the it seemed that for me, it seemed a, a natural progression 
to move into what we call UKSF, United Kingdom Special Forces, Special Air Service. Um, uh, it, you know, after eight years thinking, well, uh, uh, I thought this was all right. I quite like this. And, you know, the reward of being in, in Special Forces is a lot better, whether it's a monetary reward or even being able to get more on um, different styles of, well, you know, we don't call them missions. They're called jobs. You know, everything sort of, sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of push down a bit rather than elevate all the, the excitement. So you get a lot more um, exposure to different types of jobs. And in fact, one of them we just spoke about. You know, we're landing up doing an undercover operation for two years. Um, so th- that was for me. That was the the um, uh, the uh, the reason for uh, trying for the special air service because it's a selection process. So there's um normally there's about 200 at, at tops about 220 people go on each selection there's two a year and uh and it's nothing to do with anything else but apart from uh, health and safety trying to manage that group of people up in the black mountains and the, and the break and right. running around um and out of that between eight and 12 get in the final after the you know the seven month selection um but i thought well give it a go you know if you fell you fell if you get in you get in and that's it so just give it a go and see what happens so there was a exposure in your standard military and and then did you have a sense but other than the pay and the the quality of the jobs as you as you term it um was there an additional level of performance that you were attracted to yeah yeah well there, well, there is there's, there's this term um the the uh, the spanning around the um uh, pursuit of excellence so within a military context uh, it's really putting it first of all it's putting it into a, in a context that it's, it's just as, as valid career as anything else quite frankly yeah. you know um we find it sometimes slightly uncomfortable that there's people men and women who like to fight it's as simple as that um uh until we want them to do that of course then that that, that all changes um, you know, liberal democracy, we find it slightly uh, uh, uncomfortable, but there is a population that likes to do that. I like the, uh, uh, you know, not the, in that bravado sense of running around, you know, screaming and shouting and all that sort of business, but actually as a, as a, as a, as a business, um, um, of violence, it's, and it's not, it, it's an application. It's not like being violent. It's the application of violence because nine out of 10 times you don't want to be violent. Because actually, you might lose. You know, what I mean, it's like the reality is, it's not a TV film. You might lose. So um, it's 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 the application of, of violence that are, that are, that, are, um, that I find attractive in that in that context. Yeah. Okay. So I remember Taekwondo, British Taekwondo, putting together a, a talent ID program, and there's lots of, um, I would say, over intelligent discussion about the physical qualities that are acquired. Yeah. We want certain limb length. Um, we want a certain power output. Uh, we want endurance. We want a, uh, the ability to cope with heat. And um, <laughs> one of the one of the fighters, players, as they're, as they're called, said, "Yeah, but you've got to remember one of the key qualities is that they like kicking each other in the head." Exactly. <laughs> it's like they like to fight. You know, and it, it's and I think we get so academic in things, um, but it's like any organisation. You know, as it gets bigger, there's more bureaucracy. It's more corporate. It's more, you know, then you've got this body, that body, and you know, got all that sort of stuff. And sometimes, as the the, the further that 
sort of corporate mentality goes up, you lose the essence of what they're trying to achieve in in, in the first place, which is good, um, uh, certainly within special forces, because they do conduct their own uh, selection process. And the requirements come from what they call the Sabre Squadrons, the four squadrons that fight. Uh, so because obviously everything's, uh, you know, constantly involves like any other business, things evolve, different environments, different sort of situations. So the, the if you like, there's the fundamental basis of the selection um, uh, and it's that's predominantly stamina and aptitude, the aptitude to learn more than anything else, uh, stamina and, and, and aptitude. And uh, once you're fulfilling those, those, if you like, those requirements during the selection process, what if you like the modules of the 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 things that you're learning and if you're capable of learning them anyway because you've got the aptitude to learn are coming from the squadron so soon as you get into a saber squadron um you're on a probation for a year but it's not necessarily you're just sitting back you might be going straight on operations which in fact you know i joined my squadron on a on a tuesday and then on thursday i was flying out to southeast asia on a, on an operation they were already there so you've got to be able to slot in straight away and then pick up what's going on so that's why the requirement comes from the squadron so we're very lucky in that way because this if you like the corporate mentality sort of yeah. it's there don't get me wrong it's there the further up you get certainly within the military management but it's 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 if you like it's ring fencing the selection process um and say well we'll soon know if we got it wrong because everybody's like cocking up you know or getting killed um so that process works pretty well actually uh, and it's the, the thing about it is that you never know how good or bad you're performing uh, apart from at different stages. Um, there's four major stages of the seven-month process where people then, you know, are constantly sort of, of, of weeded out. But you never know how good or bad you're doing because um, it's all about best effort. Uh, again, this pursuit of excellence and the best effort. And then, you know, you can have like to uh, the best soldiers on the planet, um, but they need direction. So if they're told, right, you know, run up that hill, they'll keep on running until somebody stay, says they'll stop. Um, but you don't want that. You want somebody who's able to think for themselves because they've got to make decisions for themselves once they're on the ground because there is no element of that command to tell you what to do because by definition of your work, you're out there um without support without any sort of guidance and you've got to get on with you know if you like the mission statement because nothing else matters um apart from you know the sentence the mission the reason why you're doing what you're doing which we'll talk about later on how you you know how, how yeah. you focus on that but um uh so it, it's that sort of you know aptitude to learn and stamina um and and you just carry on your best best efforts that a lot of people find very difficult because they want accreditation or they want some uh, you know accreditation that they're doing well or what they want is this sort of you know come on lads it's you know you know if you do this it'll be all right you know you know that that sort of trying to help you along um and the argument about selection is well you know when, once you get out in the field there's no one's going to help you get along anyway so you, you, you if you can't do it you can't do it it's as simple as that so you're out Okay, so there was a bunch of things in there that um, I'd love to ask you about. Yeah. Um, that. Um, oh, okay, let me, let me just pause because that that idea about 
the improvisation let's come back to that one because yeah. I'd, I'd love to get into that because that that i think that is such an interesting concept rather than training somebody where you're coaching them and giving yes. them instruction from the sidelines um i'll park that one for the moment um so stamina and an aptitude and am, am i right in thinking that it was your second attempt to yeah. pass? Yeah. yeah, the first yeah, the first attempt. It was far too confident, far too cocky, and I got to the <laughs> second the last day, and uh, I of the first month, which is the selection. The rest is continuation training. Most of the people go in that first month. You know, they normally down. Or my selection was down from two hundred and twenty down to twenty four, and that's the, the 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 if you like the group, the cadre that you you know carry on with. But um, I got the second last day of that. And uh, I thought I knew where I was going on one of these, what they're called tabs, you know, uh, tactical advanced battle. Basically, you've got a burger, a backpack on, um, and then you get a day's weight, anything between 35 and, and, and 62 pounds, you've got to carry a weapon, and uh, you, you're doing these navigational sort of marches on your own. You know, it's, it's just getting one foot in front of the other as quick as you can. And I took a shortcut, being cocky, because I thought I got it right. And uh, what it was, it was a long cut. It was. I thought it was a fire break, um, in the in the uh, in in the um, in the in the forest, uh, a forestry fire break. But what it was, they just cut the trees down, so they hadn't pulled them out yet. So I was like mm-hmm. climbing over. So I was late. So you get two goes on selection, and you can't reapply after that because you might take up the place of a, a candidate that that could you know could could pass. So uh, uh, it's up to them whether they invite you back for a second one. And I said, well, you want to go for a second one? Well, yeah, of course. Um, so I, I got back on the, fortunately there was a space on the next election because sometimes you're waiting a couple of years, you know, because of the, the amount of, of, of candidates that, that uh, apply. Uh, but I got on to the next one and, and that one I passed. And so was that you checking yourself and reflecting, okay, no shortcuts. Yeah. <laughs> Follow the process. Yeah. 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 It's just too confident. It's too cocky, too confident. Um, cause you read it on the map, there's a fire break and I knew the area anyway. I said, right, I'll, I'll, I'll crack on through the fire break and it'll be better. So then soon you got committed to the fire break at the carry, you know, and literally just climbing over the, you know, the, the fell trees, you know, I hadn't been cleared. Um, so I knew, well, I, you know, it, certainly towards the end when I was getting to the final checkpoint, I thought the timings are not good on this, but as I was getting through the, the, uh, the, the fire break, I was still feeling quite confident for, we just got to crack on. And push through and, and see how it, how it happens at the end. But the timings, yeah, the timings were about three quarters of an hour out. out. Normally, the, the, that it's called sketch map, and that's normally about nine or ten hour tab, you know, um, uh, uh, force march. But I was about three quarters of an hour out because the, the 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 day's timing is set by the special air service training team. So what they do, they go out and do the routes that day because obviously different conditions. If the snow's down or the you know the fog's down, and then they set the time for that day so they're out there setting that time so that i was you know about 45 minutes out of their, their set time so that was it so uh but thankfully they asked me to come back so uh you know and the second one you know again no shortcuts just get, get on with it and i knew you know i was fit enough i knew i was fit enough to get through that bit anyway um so it was just a matter of just you know cracking on really so so no feedback during the process no but tap on the shoulder sorry that's yeah. it for this occasion. No feedback at that point either. No. If you come, if you come back again, do this differently. Oh, no, 
No, no, okay. no, no. No, right. so basically it says like, you know, the, the timing weren't, weren't good enough. Um, however, do you want to try again? Again, because their point of view, if they've got a candidate that's on the second to last day, yeah, um, you've got the you've got the finance of actually getting that that guy through that first month anyway. There is potential there, so therefore they say right, we'll just give him another go. If it was somebody who who'd, who'd uh, done that on like uh, a bad timing, say on week one, they'd just be binged straight away. They'd just RTU would return to unit um, uh, because it isn't the that it isn't worth the effort of taking up a, a, a space on a, on the second selection. So, um, yeah, it was just a matter of, of uh, uh, like, going right, well, basically I cocked up there because uh, I knew what, what, what I'd done wrong. There's uh, no shortcuts. Just get on with it. And so can you describe selection? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm asking as much as anything because I expect um, many people who might be listening will have a yeah. preconceived idea of it based on, on various TV programs, yeah, for example. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're, they're more or less based on, on like Japanese endurance programs rather than selection. Oh, but the Clive, <laughs> Clive like, James ones with worms on your back. And, yeah, all that, yeah, all that <laughs> good, yeah. So it's, it's, it's nothing like that at all. So basically, it's a seven-month process. Um, uh, you, you know, there's all this fantasy about like you're, you're selected to go on selection and all that. No, it's really, really boring. You go to your unit's administration office and you fill in a form to apply for selection. Simple as that. You get your joining instructions. Again, you might have to wait 18 months, two years. If, you're, if your unit's on operations, you know, you can't go wash on operations, all that sort of stuff. So you might have to wait for two years. Um, but that's all right. So you just, you know, if you're committed enough, you just get training now and get on with it. So you arrive for the first month. And basically the first month is all about getting yourself over the brick and beacons of the Black Mountains in Wales. And every day you'll do uh, uh, what I call TAB, um, Tactical Advance to Battle, you know, but basically it's, it's just you've got a backpack on, you know, a Bergen, uh, a rifle, and you don't know the route, you don't know the cutoff time because uh, that's all part of, you know, your, your best efforts. And uh, so you get dropped off and then what I call the DS, the, the training team, one of the training, go, where are you? You show them on a map. I say, right, go to a, uh, eight-figure grid reference that's down to 10 square meter point on the ground and uh, uh so you do your bearing it's all map and compass and they, you do your bearings and they say right which way are you going you go that way and i go well you better get on with it then and off you go so it's then you've got to you know it's it's navigation and moving as quickly as you can because you don't know the 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 cutoff time and again you you know it's between 35 pound and 62 pounds that you carry on your back with a weapon. And then during those tabs, uh, you'll get to a checkpoint and they'll check you. you know, they'll, weigh, they'll weigh the Bergen, make sure everything's all right. Um, so you just bounce from checkpoint to checkpoint, not knowing how long that day's tab is, not knowing what the cutoff time is. And even when you get in, they don't tell you. You get on a wagon. So then what happens is when you get back to Hereford, the base of the Special Air Service, you know, and you're sorting yourself out, having a shower, all that, Basically, there's names that are shouted out to go and see the 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 uh, you know the the training major, the guy in charge of the selection process, and you know then you know you, after a couple of days you realise they're the lads who, who are getting thrown out, and they immediately leave that night, and they're gone. So day after day you cut through on that first month. Um, so in my selection, 220, we're down to 24. The next bit you're doing is a lot of weapon training and. Um, uh, to 
to learn about the weapon systems that special forces are using. So, um, for instance, we had a we had a a marine a Royal Marine Corporal who was binned during that two week process um, because uh, uh, he's he's uh, a way that he adapted to the weapon systems, which are quite technical. You know, they, 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 no, no matter what, you know, certainly sort of a lot of standoff weapons are quite technical with technology to do, uh, and he just couldn't get it. He just couldn't get it in time. Whereas you'll get a guy from uh, one of the corps, like an engineer ordnance corps, uh, who, who's, who's technically sort of minded, and they'll stay on that process, you know, because they can learn what the regiment, especially so it's called the regiment within, you know, internally, what the regiment uh, will teach him. So we lost the Royal Marine Corporal uh, during right. that time, which you would expect him to be brilliant, but yeah. he was with what he knew. But he found it very hard learning what he needed to know in a short period of time. So lots of different weapon training. And then you go into the jungle for a month. Um, literally, you go in day one, come out day 31, and you're you're working in small little teams, little four-man teams. Um, and each team has got a, direct, a DS, you know, one of the training team. Uh, they don't live with you. They're apart from that. But everything you do there is with live ammunition. And you show, so you do all the close combat drills, Lots of jungle navigation, living in the jungle as well. I'd never been there before. And as well as you learning to see if you can adapt to the way that special air service works with no direction, with no immediate command. You know, it's all about you four getting on with what you've got to do. Um, uh, seeing if you can uh, adapt to that and also like understand that, that you, you know, you, you, your integrity, you know, uh, the, the patrol's integrity depends on everybody chipping in no matter what, you know, everybody helping each other. Um, and some people cannot actually work in a claustrophobic environment like the jungle, you know, or whether it's to do with getting eaten by everything all the time or being, you know, you know, hot and sweaty all the time, all that sort of stuff. So um, some people haven't got the aptitude for that. Some people haven't got the aptitude to actually work in a, an individual team. Um, uh, and people have been killed during that selection process because uh, the argument is you've got to make training realistic. Yeah, okay. Because you've got a duty of care for, you know, literally, same, you know, what I did, join the squadron on Tuesday. Thursday, I was back in the jungle. So you got, there's a duty of care to make sure you can do what they need you to do. Um, so that's, that's an interesting one. Can I just ask yeah. you a little bit about that? Because that's, I suppose that's the old adage or the military saying about hard training, easy combat, um, yeah, yeah, easy yeah. training, Train hard, hard combat. Yeah, about, yeah, yeah. But but equally interesting to hear the, the words you're choosing there, the duty of care about yeah, sort of an, care. an ethical yeah. responsibility that if we, totally. if we don't prep you for that, then yeah. throwing you into that will be very much unprepared Lions then an increase yeah. in intensity. Yeah, but, but there's also the, the 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 added thing of that you're putting the people that are already there in danger. Yeah. So there is okay. so the, what what they're looking at the criteria of the 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 training team, the directional staff, DS, whatever you want to call them, is there's there's a democracy on whether you pass or fail different stages. It's not a total democracy, of course, but the vast majority of it is that the DS get together after, say, after that jungle phase, and they go, right, would you have McNabb in your patrol? Because most of them are corporals and sergeants who come from the Sabre squadrons. They do their two years as a member of the training team. Then they'll go back. So the reality is, 
if you let them through, they might be a member in their patrol, yeah. putting their own lives at risk. So what happens is, is that there's a majority sort of discussion. They go, yep, yep, no, no, no. You know, they, then they bang it out. So there's a uh, a reality of of the the training team are not just ticking boxes because actually they go to sa- neck back to their saber squadrons. You know, they might have a complete dickhead they let go through in their own patrol that gets them or or someone else in the patrol killed. So again, that goes back to the duty of care, not only of the individual but the people that they're they're going to join. Mm. And and whilst you're going to that process i presume that the first bit is about you know can you can you hack it the, yeah. the the qualities of of physical ability but also persistence and enduring as opposed to classic endurance yeah um but the um is there a switch then in terms of the intensity of focus that you're having to demonstrate or that's required when you're going from I presume simulation to live rounds. There's, you know, that's. You know, I don't know what the, the parallel would be in say, in sport, but it might be training venue to. It sounds a bit twee actually. Training venue to eighty thousand people watching. Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's, I'm sure it's the same emotion. I'm sure it's it's that the the you know certainly training with with live ammunition and and it really does work everything within UKSF is done with live ammunition you know there's all these words you know the killing houses and all that they they do exist uh, and and you know people have been sort of injured and and, and killed whilst training in those environments as well and the, it's the same argument as well you know because it's pointless training for training's sake you know uh, you've got to train as realistically as as, as possible um but what it after a while, you become, uh, I suppose it is a blasé. You can, you, it's like, pfft, it's just there, you know, because really? you're doing it all the time. Even to the point of, um, uh, say, for the use of explosives. So th- there's a lot of uh, 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 explosives and different devices that you use for whether you're blowing yourself into an aircraft or blowing indoors and all that. And the way that the, 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 if you like, the tactics work is that you've got to be right on top of the explosives because it's pointless having the bang and then you're going in a minute later. You've got to go in. Same as a flashbang. You've got to go in at the same time as the flashbang goes in because that's, that's the distraction. So literally you can be right up close to the, the explosives. And, you know, the first time you're doing it, you're sort of, okay, like, and you're, you know, you're facing away, you open your mouth so the pressure wave doesn't, you know, have a go at your teeth, all that sort of stuff. And then after a while, you're slapping it on, shout clear, and you just do it. You know, you just do it. And sometimes you get a bit of bristance hitting your face and all that. Um, uh, and that's even in training. And then what happens is that when you then go to do it on operations, um, you are better prepared because you, you'll be going to be doing that anyway because you want to get right on top of it. So being sort of the, the repetition, without a doubt, helps. And which I'm sure is the same as in, in, in sport. The repetition helps. There's a point where you're getting blasé. Um, and basically everything like that is like, fuck it. You know what I mean? It's the argument is you're a volunteer. Nobody is forcing you to do this. So if you don't like it, get out. It's as simple as that. That's it if you like the, the, the you know, the not the ethos or the, you know, the, but that's the, that's the, the, the general feeling about things. So the realistic training um 
really, really helps when you go on ops because there is that, you know, again, that old adage, you know, it's it sort of train hard, fight easy, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, train easy, or you're going to die, you know. So there's, there's, um, a, which sometimes leads to, again, certainly in training, people getting accidentally shot, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, everything does stop, have a look at it, a reassess and think, well, actually, no, it is worth it. It is worth it in the long run. So that sense of, of normalizing something quite un- abnormal. Um, what, and, and how did you respond in those situations? Or, or what was the variety of responses that you saw amongst, amongst your comrades there in that sense of, you know, typically in a stressful situation, we have a stress-based response, fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what happened for you? And were you able to then start to overcome that uh, were you able to, was it a, was it something, it just didn't really register, you were able yeah, to push through it, it, or was it a was, simple version of fight and flight? Yeah, it was, it was, it, it's a mixture really, depending what, what was going on. I think that the, the, that whole thing of fuck it, um, as uh, for me, it, it, it's always been there anyway, even when I was a kid, it was like, and the, I always knew that no matter what, it'd be all right. You know, so I, and I realized if if I was, you know, I was in trouble, I'll get ninety six percent out of it. It'd be all right. You know, everything would be all right. So it's like, why bother about it, sort of thing. Um, even during the the, the time in the infantry, um, uh, was was very much the same. You know, it's the first time I sort of you know uh, killed someone. I was nineteen, so I was a nineteen year old kid basically. I weren't even shaving properly. Um, so that that whole thing of uh you know uh, uh shooting and getting shot at was quite um uh, not an everyday occurrence but it was like pff, you know what i mean i'm just uh i was just very glad that that you know certainly on those first contacts that then you know that lad got killed in, in, instead of me it's not as if you sort of going in in a in a again that word blase way of yeah this is great uh because it's not because you're trying to not all the time but you know nine out of ten times you're in a contact you're trying to kill them before they kill you um uh, so it's just a matter of getting on with it, quite frankly. Um, and there's this, you know, well, I've already used it without really thinking about it. this whole thing. Crack on. You just got to get on. You're in the situation. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, you're there. It's pointless moaning about it. It's pointless crying about it. It's pointless being worried about it. Just get on with it. Uh, and again, if you don't like it, well, get out. Nobody's forcing it to do it. So that it's a, a, the fact of, of actually getting on with it, a sense of satisfaction, bizarrely, at the end, nothing to do with whether it involved, you know, killing people. A lot of the time is, you know, the, the military uses this word kinetic, which basically means killing people and blowing things up. So um, the fact of being involved in in in, in kinetic operations, um, there is a satisfaction in that, that um, even if it wasn't successful, uh, that, at the same time, it was a success because no one's dead from you know this side of the house. So, yeah, it it is a more pragmatic view, I would say, rather than certainly what you get in the in the um, you know in the in the in the media where everybody's like all worried about it, and you know there, there's this PTSD does exist. Uh, yeah. Bizarrely, the military. Are more successful in treating it in house than the, the general population. There's a less percentage of it, 
than uh, the, certainly the way it was portrayed during the post 9-11 wars. Um, because the system is, for them, there's a thing called TAMS, where if young lads are getting involved in a, in a contact, say, in Iraq or Afghanistan, what happens immediately, that group start talking about it and they're allowed to talk within their own little secure bubble so they can criticize they can say what was good what was bad he was shit he was good you know i've done this i've done that they're allowed to talk about it themselves no one else is allowed to come in because they weren't there they didn't see they didn't hear they didn't feel what they did so what happens this helps the process which um as 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 really sort of helped with you know bringing the the certainly at a later date the the uh the cases of post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. and this comes from uh, a corporal you know corporals are taught this you know which are lower section commanders and then other people can come in and they help and they do all that but it's what it is is the people who are involved can sit down and talk and then get it done and when within sf we've been doing that for years but not in the sense of post-traumatic stress. What it was was about the pursuit of excellence. So when you come back from a job, the people involved in that job will go into debrief. Yeah. And no one else is allowed to go into that debrief. And then everybody can say what went well, what went badly, who performed well, who performed crap. Uh, and the idea is that if you can do that in an open forum, it's good because you can get the truth out. And uh, because what it's all about is then moving forward um, to say then to the, the bigger organization, right, these are the things that need improving. And again, it's that pursuit of excellence. So next time someone goes on that job, hopefully we can improve on that. And that's how we get what's called SOP, standing operation procedures, from cock-ups. There's SOPs that that date from uh uh the the malaya emergency you know in the jungle there's jungle sops that really come from there from major cock-ups from patrols mm. uh learning by their mistakes and those sops are still with us now because they work mm. so but that can only happen if the, the the it's just the people are involved so i mean that's fascinating in the sense that ptsd the p being post yeah what what actually you're doing is processing yes in the moment or in the immediately moment. afterwards so it's yeah. not bottled it's not festered on it's not That's rotting right. in your head it's also shared it's it's a community thing where yeah, totally. you're processing it together so you're accepting it you're um you're sharing the stresses of it yeah um but it's equally is part of the process of improving performance yes. for for you next time. So you're learning, yeah. But also for the system, yeah. Because uh, the, the, because you you're at a you know you're just a small little co- you know you're tip of the spear. So you've got all these other elements that are behind. So there's a lot of processes, whether it's different voice procedures or different processes to get you know, a bit of ordnance dropped from an aircraft over there rather than over there, you know, all that, that sort of stuff. So the, the mistakes that are made or the, uh, the, the disjointed lines of communications, which then make cock-ups, they can be all sorted out. And then obviously the, the, if you like the, the, uh, uh, the, the duty care bit 
is that people are processing, particularly sort of young lads. I'll give you an example. There was, there's, um, I used to, during the post 9-11 wars, I used to go to Iraq and Afghanistan for the Ministry of Defence, doing some advisory stuff um, to do with infantry battalions. And it was about their operational needs. You know, not the the big ticket stuff, but the little stuff squaddies need to make them safer, you know, make them more comfortable. Because um, the problem with squaddies, you know, if they, they want it little and green, the time they get it, it's massive and blue, you know, because you know, of the, 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 the way that the process goes. So there's money that's put aside um to get these immediate sort of uh things that that soldiers need you know different things for weapons different sites that sort of stuff so it was out and the the uh the battalion that was uh was uh with uh this was in basra done what called strike ops they're doing house assaults trying to, to look for insurgents and these were uh being uh, uh led and coordinated by members of the special air service so they'll go in, find the targets, mark the targets, bring the lads in, and, and then we go in. And interestingly, on one of these TAMS things after uh, a contact, where actually uh, one of the, the uh, battalion were killed, not within that patrol, but uh, a, a neighbouring patrol, a neighbouring house or something. So they're going through the TAMS, and the, uh, the, the, the guy from the regiment was really, really good, really helpful, because he, he basically they was talking about what was going on. And obviously... Uh, you've got all these young squaddies out of the battalion. You know, there's the regiment guy there, you know, and of course, every regiment guy is six foot six, four foot one, you know, all that sort of rubbish. Um, so there's this thing about, you know, the special air service. And what he said, he said, it basically went, fuck that, lads. That was a bit fruity. Fruity is like meaning scary. He went, <laughs> I don't want to do that again. And all of a sudden, you see these young lads go, oh, do you know what? It's all right to say they were scared. Yeah, okay. You know, it was very, very good. And what happened then, you know, and then the TAMS thing uh, just carried on. Um, because he said, I could just see it. You know, you get, you know, 18-year-old squaddy. Um, it's quite a traumatic thing when all that stuff uh, uh, starts kicking off. And uh, so he thought he'd just say it and see what happens. And it worked. It worked. Yeah, so the leader actually, actually role modelling yeah. open communication rather than just yeah. feeling like it's got to be some sort of eagle-based leadership where I'm, I'm going to, uh, show you how how invulnerable um yeah. i am yeah and, and it can't be that it can't be that that that's a good word actually i'm gonna write that down evil like um uh, leadership it can't be like that because you basically what you've got is a small group of people a large group of people whatever it, it may be whatever formation um by definition they're there to destroy something or to destroy uh other human beings and you need them to do things that a lot of the times they really don't want to do and, and naturally they don't want to do but certainly sort of young infantry soldiers they're, of course they don't they're, you know they're, they're, they're you know they're worried of course they're worried so what happens you've got to get to get to the point where they you've got to get them to do those things not only to carry out if you like the mission statement which is the most important thing um but also try and keep everybody else alive as well so what you've got to do, it's, it, it sounds almost Victorian, you know, lead by example and all that sort of business, but it, it's true and it works. So what happens mm. is that if you were, you know, uh, if, say, for instance, that regiment guy, well, the regiment's guy, he's got to be number one through the door, no matter what, because then everybody else will follow him. He can't be going, someone else go, right, you go in, you know, I'm going to stand back here. He's got to go at number one, um, uh, number one through the door. It's as simple as that. So there is that leading by example which gives you the credibility 
which gives you the uh, it gives you that leadership quality as opposed to a, a management quality, which are two different things. You know, yeah. most people can manage things. You know, when things are going well, people can manage things very well. You know, but it's uh, it's when they're all going wrong or it's all happening around them. Uh, that's that's you know when you, you find a lot of managers can't sort of cut it to be the leader to get that final push. And and so you alluded to these um, teams of four in the yes. jungle where they would form those retest and and you would be given operations. What what are the sorts of qualities that that they're looking for from a leadership? I presume fellowship teamship yeah. aspect and what are they looking for from you yeah it's it it's it's a number of things it's um whether you can work in an unsupervised group with your mission statement what, whatever you're doing for that day you know and that's everything from being able to sort of function in those sort of environments um because if you let yourself get eaten by everything every day you know by day four you're, you're unable to function you know you, you know your eyes are swollen up because you've been bitten and eaten and you know so you so you've got to learn how to you know look after yourself but obviously check the others with you to make sure they're all right as well all that sort of stuff um the the if you like the the training element and again lots of you know live ammunition lies explosive so you're going through all the different systems that you use whether it's the way to patrol in the jungle the way to tactically live the way to you know, uh, you know, move to contact, withdraw out of contact, all that sort of stuff, live ammunition, out to blow trees up, out to blow things up in the jungle, that that sort of stuff. Um, it It's making sure that people have the aggression as well to get through those because, no, you know, obviously, you know, you, you're not going against a, a live enemy. But when all that stuff's flying around, you need aggression to push yourself through anyway. Um, and there's a thing which they particularly look at, there's a thing called a fight through. So once you're moving towards something, you're going to take it on, you know, a, a, a position, an enemy position and all that. Um, in that instance, you do fit bayonets because everything's all sort of quite close up. And it's seeing your reaction. Well, and there's targets and all that sort of stuff. So you're going through live ammunition and it's just seeing the reaction to see if you're revved up enough. And you actually are attacking those those targets with a bayonet. The aggression is there because there is a stage that the only quality you're going to need is aggression. Um, at some stage in that that career, the only thing you've got is aggression. So therefore, you've got to make sure that you've got it. Again, to keep yourself alive. And at the same time, because you're keeping the integrity of the patrol, mm -hmm. keeping everybody else alive as much as possible as well. Because there's only four of you. And it's not as if you, you know, by definition of the work, it's not as if you've got loads of backup that's going to be there within like half hour to pick you up. So that all that stuff doesn't sort of, exist in 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 that world so it's seeing you've got that but also that that point of um uh, uh working as a, as a as a member of the total team there was one of the things you, ha you have to be able to do in special forces communicate anywhere in the world and the way you do that is through morse code um because you can use um uh you know uh wire from a fence to build an antenna so you learn antenna theory you learn, you know, the ionosphere and E-layer, D-layer, all that sort of stuff, how to bounce signals off the ionosphere. Um, and so everybody, by the end of the, the jungle phase, has to be able to do five words of Morse code per minute, which is the basic requirement. So, And then you move on to, to it later on. So everyone's got to do that. 
So there was one guy in my patrol who was an infantry soldier from a, an infantry battalion signal platoon, and he was up to about 16 words a minute anyway. So what he was happening during the, the, the lulls, um, he'd be sitting there making tea. Um, he didn't have to learn more. So we're all like trying to learn more all the time during every any spare minute we got. We're trying to learn the uh, you know all the what are called the Q codes and all this sort of stuff you got to learn. And uh, he already knew it, so he was laughing. But he failed purely because he didn't get off his ass and start helping the other three of us. Interesting. Interesting. And he wasn't told. He wasn't. He wasn't told to get off his ass and all that. And everybody's looking at it. And he said, well, he was just sitting there making tea. you know." And, of course, he's making tea for all of us, whereas we're sitting there learning. But what he didn't do was say, look, I'll give you a hand. What do you need? Yeah, okay. So it's, it's, I've, got an, I've got an individual ability yeah. that is high on the spider graph here. This is exceptional. But what he's not spotting is the average ability is something yeah. I could facilitate upwards. Totally. He could for have the really, benefit of all of us. Yeah, even if he sat there and right. started learning these cue codes, it's normally three letters, which mean it gives a statement. So even if he was sitting there making the tea going, well, what's QRK mean? What's the, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, whatever it yeah. was, but he done nothing. And to tell you the truth, we didn't think about it as well. You know, we just did our yeah. own well trying to learn the Morse code. And we knew he was up 16 anyway, so we thought, oh, he's cracked it. But he didn't crack it because the DS saw it and said, well, you never helped anybody. So at the end of that phase, he was off purely on that. Yeah, and I bet that was a profound lesson for you all yeah. in the sense of I'm not just here for me. I want yeah. to survive. Yeah. But but my commitment to the team and the yeah, team yeah, yeah. goal. But that's the thing, I think, that, you know, the, the, the fact is that, bizarrely, you are there for yourself, but the only way you can yeah. fulfil that is to be this team player. Because yeah. um, uh, 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 otherwise it's not going to exist, you know, because otherwise the, the, you know, the, the reason why you're there wouldn't exist. Simply, be, again, because the, the sort of, by the, the sort of work you do, you, you're, you know, you're given your, you're given your your mission statement and your limits of exploitation, and you get on with it, and that's it. You know, yeah, you are, you're past all you fell. Quite a, you know, aggression and collaboration don't necessarily always go together, but in that sense of of pushing forward, but also together, um, yeah. being critical that that's a, a quality that's yeah, that's yeah, developed. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at you look at the sort of that that if you like the teamwork and the you know you, you you can encompass everything if you're looking at your you know the the, the leadership by example that sort of stuff um, the, the 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 sort of the the aggression and the and the teamwork. There's a thing, um, uh, command and control. It's a great military thing. You know, you command everything and you control the 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 uh, you control what you're you know people carrying out that command within that small group and even in a in a larger group say it's a 10-man like rifle section or, or whatever it is when the shit hits the fan and you're actually uh in the fight and you're physically fighting command and control doesn't exist what it's all about is command so going back to that fight through thing uh you know you're fixed bayonets and once you say go you have no command whatsoever because that's when the aggression comes in and everybody is in their own world and, you know, people fighting pairs and all that sort of stuff. Even that starts to disintegrate. They understand what they've got to do. They're not listening to anything else because they're just focused on what they've got to do because they want to, want to stay alive. 
The control comes afterwards when you've got to grip those lads. You've got to grip them and bring them back, if you like, to planet Earth. And that, and that is the, the, the control bit. And when you lose control, that's when you start hearing all these stories of lads who are cutting off ears and you know, all this sort of stuff that's gone on. Even the, the, the elements, if you're looking at the, the, the abuse in Abu Ghraib by the mm. American um, uh, uh, military, you know, what there is, there's, a, 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 there's no control because you've, you've given the command, you've let them go forward, but you've got to grip them because they're in that element of aggression, which is what you want. But then you've got to hone that aggression mm. in, stop it. And then get away quickly, just in case, you know, the next bit you might lose. And so that's that, again, that's that part of that leadership because they're going to do it. They are going to calm down because you want them to calm down because they respect you. And deep down, they understand they've got to calm down anyway. So you're in this weird dilemma where you want them to be really aggressive. You want them to, to stab people <laughs> to, to the, you know, if you take to the extreme. Uh, uh, but at the same time, you've got to stop it because then it'll get out of control. I'm not too worried about the out of control bit, but it's that because you, you've got to move on. You know, I mean? you just don't sit there and, and, you know, make a brew of tea and, and, and you know, you, you've got to get away quickly because there might be a follow up. So it's really gripping that, 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 that aggression, if you like, command and control. And, and do you think that's something that can be taught in the, in the sense that if you don't have, feedback during selection and training or selection should i say um do you think it's an innate quality where there is um a maneuver that fight through and then you're looking for people who are then actively looking to calm themselves yes. or 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 get back to yeah to processing in a logical thinking brain people who way. understand the system yeah you got to understand the system so you must understand the system. And the, and the system, again, dating back to these what we call SOPs, the fact is the reason why there's there's set things that don't change until they are changed is because of cock-ups historically that have been well, recognized and rectified and say, right, this is what we do to counter that. So what you know, that the 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 people who understand going back to even uh, even back to this whole thing of of you know, um, in the military, we all address people by rank and yes, sir, no, sir, and salute and all that. In special forces, there's none of that. So it's, it's, it's you know, it's by a Christian name or a nickname. Nine out of ten times, a nickname or a short version of the surname, you know, that normal sort of stuff. So the same, you know, the way people dress somebody on a, on a building site. However, if the squadron sergeant major is the most senior non-commissioned officer in the Sabre squadron goes, mate, what I want you to do is pick that up and take that over there. You're not going to go, yeah, all right, I'll do that in a minute. You go, yeah, all right, because you understand he's the squadron sergeant major and he's telling you he wants that bit of kit from there over there and you'll do it. So people who don't understand that then don't make the selection process because the system wouldn't function by it just being, yeah, all right, mate, yeah, I'll do that later on. It doesn't work like that. But the way that, the, if you like, the information is transmitted is in a more casual basis. So it's all part of that understanding the system. And part of that is, you know, through the fight through. Well, when a patrol commander says, stop, get over there, they'll do it. They'll do it. Because they understand the reason it is like that. It's number one, he's a patrol commander. And you're only there, by the way, 
uh, by a, a, a form of, of democracy. Because there'd be people in that patrol perfectly adequately could could take command of that patrol because we all come from different environments. And I was an infantry sergeant when I joined, you know, so, you know, I was a platoon sergeant. So lots of people within their their, their past are perfectly capable of, of taking control. But because of the selection process, getting the people to understand, we all understand there must be someone in command because otherwise it you lose your integrity, you lose your firepower, then you lose your life. So if the commander's going, do that, they'll do it. So even at the – say you're going on a job, planning preparation stage. So what will happen is the patrol commander will be given uh, his mission, which is very, very short. And it's like mission to go and blow this up, mission to go and blow this up, whatever it is. And it's said twice, so there's no gray area. That is the mission. Everything you do – evolves around the mission so what happens you go into isolation because of operational security you the the patrol goes into isolation so no one else knows what's going on and any information you need is brought to you like you know imagery you know satellite imagery any of that sort of stuff so what happens the whole patrol sit down and everybody's encouraged to come up with their ideas and because you're in that bubble you can come up, you're encouraged to come up with a load of old crap. It doesn't matter because it'll bounce out a different idea or a better idea. And, and you can criticize each other because it doesn't go anywhere because everybody understands that it's got to be a success, whether it's a physical success or it's a success because we all come back to life. So everybody can give their tuppence worth in and you start developing a plan. But there is a time when the patrol commander goes, right, this is what we're going to do. And it could be something that hasn't got any ideas from the rest of the patrol. But that doesn't matter because the patrol understands there must be a plan, there must be a leader, there must be a time where you just shut up and accept what's going to happen. So uh, and you get on with a job. Now, after the job, when you go into debrief, you can go, well, what we did was a load of crap because this, that and that, what we should have done is this. But it's done in the forum of, as I've spoken before, where People are coming together to try and make it better next time for other people. But mm. there is a time when the patrol commander, even at that, that slow time stage, uh, makes that the decision, right, this is what we're going to do. Everyone goes with a plan, whether they like it or not, because there has to be a plan. There has to be. And everybody has had their tuppence worth in as well. Everyone's given their, their views on things. So, But now shut up. This is what we're going to do. Again, if you don't like it, get out. When you're on the ground, there's no time for that. So if the patrol commander's going, go left, everyone will go left, whether they agree with it or not, because they understand the system has got to make sure, keep the integrity of the patrol, keep the firepower so they don't get killed. And they'll do it. And then later on, if we're all dead, nobody knows it's a cock-up anyway, so that's all right. But afterwards, if we, we, we get back, um, uh, and it was a cock up and, it, and there's been casualties. We can look at the reason why. But everybody understands that, that there has to be someone in command. And the fact of command is not, it's not a science because there's too many other factors, you know, from the weather or the opposition or the bad information or the bad signals or whatever it is. So all you can do is what you see, what you hear, what you feel. Exactly the same as when you're doing in debrief. And, you know, whether, you know, your experience, your training, all those sort of things say, go left. 
or go forward, fix bayonets, whatever it may be, and they'll do it, and they'll do it. Mm. You can argue about it later on. And I remember going into my first Olympic um, environment, that was Sydney 2000, and um, and as we got closer and closer, we're getting sort of uh, into execution mode of this is what we're going to do, this is the plan. And the brains were going faster and faster of anticipating what's going to be the outcome. And more and more people I noticed were, were coming up with ideas, probably because they wanted to be involved or some sort of offshoot behavior of, of, uh, of worrying about the result and therefore let's try and change it now. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 we've done the planning. This is the time to deliver it. Yeah. Let's reflect afterwards. And, and that, and instituting that as a process we, we come up with the ideas, then we execute, and then we debrief. And um, it's, it's actually what I mean, certainly debrief is, is probably one of the key areas that I see so few people, certainly in most walks of life, um, neglecting. Yeah. Uh, of actually taking the intelligence out of what they've just experienced. Um, and also they use it just to have a moan at somebody as well, rather than the, the whole point of a debrief is to improve. Yeah, but I suppose for for sport, it was actually really keeping that delivery bit, the execution bit, nice and clean. Yeah. If you've got an idea, that's the time to yeah. come up with it. Yeah. Um, and if you want to moan and groan and snipe um, and criticize and undermine people, that's the, that's the time to do it. Not not in the middle of it. No, absolutely not. Um, but. But planning, you know, that sort of whole idea of, you know, no, no plan survives contact with the enemy, yeah. of, of once you're passed through selection, how much is that problem solving and improvisation and adaptability to what you're encountering? As you say, the environment or what you thought was going to be there is not there. Um, how much of that, of that is, is selected for or, or just developed? Yeah, no, it's 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 a mixture of both, really. There's 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 a, a a big sort of ranges all through the military. You know, seven P's: prior planning and preparation prevents piss poor performance. So that gets you to the point where you're you've 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 accounted for all the problems during your planning phases. There's always Plan B, Plan C. There's the what ifs. You know, so they're called actions on. Basically, what if what if, what if we get there and it's not there? What if the weather changes. What if you know? So you've got you've got a, a like a, a selection of what ifs, um, and obviously it doesn't account for everything. And then everything else you go, uh, we're adapt as the situation dictates. <laughs> the, the, the big coverall for everything. So what happens is, uh, once you're on the ground, um, ninety. Five percent of stuff never goes as 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 planned, of course. Um, uh, so there is a lot of, you know, um, uh, uh, adapting. There is a lot of, um, uh, and sometimes actually improving on the original plan. Once you're on the ground and and you 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 see something, but the thing that never changes, which is part of the selection process, going back to your original question, is the maintenance of the mission statement so everything you're doing is focused on the mission so um if you're if you're changing off to plan b it's to get you back onto your 
mission statement. Um, and the whole emphasis of, it, of, 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 of the selection process is really getting people who, number one, understand that at all costs, the mission. Uh, and, and, and can focus on it. And, and again, you know, the stamina, the hardships, the whatever it, whatever it is, you know, you think you're going to be on the ground for a week or you're there for three weeks because whatever you was waiting for arrive hasn't arrived. So you wait there for it. You know, it's, it's because that's the mission to destroy it or to, to do whatever, whatever you're doing. So selection process is very helpful on that. When you get into the, the squadron, because it's, it's constantly reinforced. You know, the mission statement is constantly reinforced, whatever the, the mission be. It be, just becomes part of, of what goes on, you know. Um, and the fact is going back to, you know, you, you know all right, we'll be, you know, the, the job should be seven days in the field. However, if it doesn't turn up, it might be three weeks and tough shit. It's three weeks. That's it. And that's it. And people go, yeah, it's, it might take three weeks as opposed to a week that we planned for. So that means, you know, three weeks water, three weeks food, three weeks of this, whatever it may be. And that's all got to be carried in. So, but you're like, tough shit. And again, if you don't like it, you can, no, no, slavery's been abolished. It doesn't matter. You know, if you don't like it, you can get out. You know, people, some people do get out. Um, not on that, actually. Some people I've known have got out on moral grounds. Um, they've, they've, they've disagreed with, you know, whatever the, the you know the government of the day has as wanted UKSF to get involved with, they disagreed with that. Uh, and there's no big, you know, there's no sort of big disgrace where they're all thrown out and everything because they go what's called on the circuit, you know, the private military companies, that sort of stuff, which is all sort of run by ex-members anyway. So there's no big disgrace. They say, well, no, I don't want to do that. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. like there's one guy who, who, who left it, um, just against his, his religious beliefs. And you go, yeah, well, fair one. Actually, Morally, probably one of the most bravest people I know, quite frankly. Um, because you know, kids, mortgage, all that stuff that goes yeah. on, you know what I mean? He's, he's, he's still got to finance all that. Um, so he, you know, he got out. Now, you've um, you've had a bit of a look at your mindset with yeah. our common connection, Kevin Dutton, um, looking at your personality, um, and coming out as a bona fide yeah. psychopath. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, tell me a little bit about how that kind of came about, but and, and what the test sort of showed you. Yeah, well, um, well, Kevin was doing this uh, uh, this research, and it was looking at, at um, uh, people who are, you know in society doing well, uh, who would probably register quite highly on the uh, uh, on the on the psychopathic uh, um, spectrum. Uh, and he was looking at people, you know, in law, in medicine, and and um, uh, the military, uh, finance. Um, uh, you know that bizarre situation where you know you can look at like functioning psychopaths got us in the twenty oh eight situation. Yet bizarrely, we need them to get us out of it, sort of thing. You know, it's all that weird, you know, all that weird stuff. You know, so he's looking at we hedge funds, some guys. psychopath salespeople to sell exactly to, to, the world. to get us out. So um, yeah. And one of those groups that were looking at it was looking at the military. So, you know, it, um, uh, we met up and, you know, I'd done these, these, he's got some written tests and bits and pieces and all that. And, um, uh, and that they were, they were quite high. And he said, well, uh, would you be willing to, to, uh, um, uh, take some more clinical tests, you know, sort of, you know, rather than just a, a, a written test? And I went, yeah, okay. Um, and again, one of the, the, the things, 
that uh, uh, I've always done as a kid, and now I understand why. It's go, yeah, why not? Yeah, whatever. You know, just try it and see. You know, see what the benefit is. See what reward I'm getting out of it. And um, so we went to. In fact, we went to uh, Essex University. They, that's where all the machines that go ping were. So we sat down and done a um, uh, a series of, of first of uh, almost like therapy sessions i suppose you know there's the you know again first time you know i don't know again recognizing mum, and then i said well i don't know because i was in a i was in a home till i was five mm. so you know um and again was that a traumatic experience going oh, actually i quite liked it i thought it was all right um you know and went through you know childhood and all that 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 sort of stuff and then we sat down um and went through the uh um the machinery so basically you're strapped in in effect the dentist chair with um, head skulls on with different sensors on your eyes and ECGs, all that, all that sort of stuff. And you're subjected to a um, a, a test that was uh, designed in Miami, um, which is the gold standard, which are, are used um, by legal systems to, you know, where people go, they're criminally insane. You know, you can do these tests. Um, first of all, to make sure that the brain uh, is working in a way where it could justify their their, their claim. So. Um, uh, I'd done those tests and uh, literally they, they flatlined. And normally on these tests, what you have, you have the technicians, then you have a compliance body that uh, are, are, are checking the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the readings. So what happened, they had to then had to resit the tests because there was another compliance body that was brought in because they weren't too sure because the machines were working. But the, 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 and the compliance said it was working. So I said, all right, we'll do it again with another compliance team. The readings, uh, uh, were the same. So Dutton's come back and he says, um, uh, almost apologetically, he was going, Oh, it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, I can really, really say you're a psychopath. And, um, uh, and it was like a, a light bulb gone off. Ah, so it sort of all makes sense now. You know, because then he was explaining the way that, you know, uh, we look and we, we think and, you know, look at life, think, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I went back home and I, and I told my wife and I said, oh, well, and by then she'd known, you know, she'd met, she'd met Kevin and, and his wife actually as well. And um, uh, I said, oh, Kevin says I'm a psychopath. And she's going, well, yeah, what's new? Well, you didn't have to spend a couple of days down there. You know what I mean? And then, and then. What they wanted to do was they wanted then to do some work uh, with my wife about how to manage people who are high on the on the spectrum. And it basically, all it all it all it means is that you just well, she just grips me basically. You know, it's like um, uh, uh, to the point I get. I might have some here on it. I still because she prints them out. Oh, I've got, yeah, one minute. I've got some here. So uh, what she does, she prints these out, cuts them out. Can you see them? Yeah. Yeah, right. so some emoji. Yeah, emojis. Right, uh, yeah. yeah. So years and years ago, before I met uh, uh, Kev, um, what she does, she prints these out and laminates them, and cuts them up, folds them, and put them in wallet. Because she would go right. You see this face, you know, a sad face, her sad face. She says yeah. that's that one. So when you see this face, this is what you do. You like make a cup of tea, or you, you know, you do. That sort of stuff. Oh, right. So say this face then record because I couldn't recognise any of the you know sort of basic emotions. It really it's never registered at all. You know, I don't know people. Some people with autism have, have this, the same situation. But I didn't realise that you know the, the sort of people who register high on the on, on the scale don't recognise those. 
which explains a lot when I was in the military because um, uh, I've got every uh, uh, gallantry award apart from the Victoria Cross. Um, and so people think, uh, uh, you know, bravery and all that. No, just stupid because everything is almost like a like a game. Not in a ha-ha-ha sense, but it's a, like a game. So I go, lads, right, what we're going to do? We're going to go and do this in this way. And uh, I'd never recognised people going, fuck that. you know, Because right. um, in my head, it wasn't, <clears throat> it didn't seem that as, as as bad as as certainly when I was in the, in the infantry battalion. And, um, uh, and it was only then through this, you know, she, I don't know, about 15 years ago, she started cutting them out. And she said, you know, this face, right, this is what you do with this face. This is a happy face. This is a sad one. This is angry. Um, uh, so, yeah, she prints them out because I'm always losing them. So she cuts them out and, well, she's, you know, big pick sellotape to almost laminate <laughs> it and I put it in my wallet. Um, so, so it started to make sense. She's given you like sense. a bit of a mission at yourself. Like, here's yeah. a sad face, right? Exactly. So we're, we're at base camp one. We need to get up to happy exactly. face emoji one. And the plan that you need to deliver that is a cup of tea. <laughs> exactly, a cup of tea. <laughs> or, the, or the other one, the other one was um, uh, when uh, certainly the, the the sad face or, or the ang- particularly the angry face. Right. And she goes, right, it's angry face. It's because of something that that you've done. You know, and the, In the, the problem is, I wouldn't realise. Yeah, I wouldn't realise <laughs> what I've done. Yeah, but you've done. So what I then learned, started to learn, was that you've got to. Like, all right, it's an angry face. So what you do, you buy a gift. And um, do you remember those neutral bullets? Neutral bullets, that, I don't yeah. know, five, six years ago. They were yeah. So every every time I cocked up, um, I'd buy a neutral bullet, and we had seven <laughs> brand new neutral bullets in boxes in a cupboard because I turned up with a neutral bullet. She says, I don't want one of them. <laughs> we got Open it up. We got seven of them, brand new. Because <laughs> yeah. in my head, oh, I've got to do something. The first time it really worked, so you just yeah, kept yeah, repeating yeah, yeah. it. Right, seventh time it's like get it smacked over my head. But it, <laughs> but it's it, it, yeah, it was quite interesting. I'm saying about how you then how she sort of um, uh, uh, manages it. I, I suppose. Well, she doesn't manage it; she just directs it, and then I'm quite easy. I go, well, is even interaction with people if you go into a like a, a party thing or a drinks party or the, whatever it is. Um, uh, I used to do things like uh, uh, go, right, well, I've got to go now because um, uh, I want to go to the toilet. And she goes, no, you don't say that. What you say is, you know, so in simple ways. Or sometimes what I used to do was, uh, do you know, really boring people. Um, I used to go, I can't talk to you anymore. It's really boring. I can't, <laughs> I don't, or I don't like you. You know what I mean? Because at those of it, you know, people are chatting to each other, don't they? And they don't really like each other. And I couldn't see the point. And they go, well, I, you know, it's, I don't like you. I don't want to, I don't want to talk to you. I said, well, you can't actually do that. What you've got to do is do this social thing. You know, there's this cultural thing. Um, uh, well, you know, which, which I started doing. Uh, and then sometimes, uh, a bit dodgy about a month ago. There's 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 there's, there's a guy who's who's um, uh, oh, he's just pointing us. He's quite self-important in the area where 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 we live. So rather than sort of talking to him, I thought, well, I really find him boring to talk to. So when he started to walk over to start talking, I just looked at him and blanked him off, and he sort of got the hint. So I got the bollock in for that. But actually, um, it was worth getting a bollock in from my wife because uh, he, he doesn't bother to come up and talk to me anymore now, so which is great. <laughs> so that's all right. You know that's I mean? problem solved for next time. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's um, so if, so that if you like the penalty of of, of getting a bollocking was worth it um, because it was quite you know it, it was just a pain in the ass. So so the machine's not not firing or actually not even registering. I presume it was your amygdala response. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not even firing. Um, no, at not all. even firing. To, it, it was just to it was check the machines are working. Yes, yeah, and 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 you know, and and it's quite interesting because you look at it and you see the neurons creating new passageways, and it, it's quite interesting to see that. Uh, yeah, the, the 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 amygdala just simply doesn't function, um, uh, which makes so much sense now, so much sense. Um, and it it, do you know what? I quite like it. It's what what. Dutton said um, uh, years ago. He said every every psychopath that he's interviewed, from you know uh, you know criminality, you know sort of upwards downwards, wherever you want to look at it, um, there's not one that said they would change the way that they they think or and, and they operate. And well, why is that there, Andy? What, what's that? What's that there? Is it is it's it freedom. because you have this? fuck it principle of freedom. I'm going to make it, I'm going to make something happen. I'm going yeah. to just I'm going to do it. And I'm feeling that progress. Yeah. It's freedom. It's freedom. It's freedom to just do what you want. You know, there, there's a freedom, but then the problem, obviously with people with, 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 you know, the people in, in prison with it is that they do do what they want. You know what yeah, I mean? Okay. Whether it's thieving or, you know, assault and all that or violence, whatever that sort of stuff. So what it is, 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 is understanding. And I only understood it because Dutton explained it to me, the analogy of a mixing desk um, where you can adjust, functioning psychopaths can adjust the, the mixing desk of the emotions and the fear and the anger and the, and the you know, the commitment and all the different sort of emotions that, that, that affect people. Basically, what we can do is functioning ones can adjust to the, to the, to the circumstance and the context, um, which Clearly, I, I could have, I could do um, without knowing it. You know, I didn't realise. And then he, he explained it, and it actually reinforced the the, the fact that I, I really like it because there is there's a freedom, there is so much optimism um, that 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 if you don't grip it, can border on narcissism or, or arrogance. But so much optimism, as I said before, as a kid, always, always knew I'll, I'll get out of it. Everything I've done, not everything, of course, there's been, there's been cock-ups. But the major things in life have always been a success. You know, the, the, the fact is, in the military, a success. Uh, got out, then all of a sudden, out of one extreme into another, whether it's book, TV, films, all that sort of stuff. And what happens, same as in the military, the more success you have, there's a you go through a door, a successful door, and there's been another three ready there for you because mm. everybody wants somebody who's successful. So, like, you, you have a look at the three doors and then we're like, fuck it, give it a go, see what happens. Mm. You know what I mean? Whatever it may be, whether it's, um, I don't know. Again, you know, the, the, the you know, I've, I've skied to the North Pole, South Pole, I've climbed, it's done that since I've got out, but it's not as if there's this sense for adventure. It's basically somebody will go, do you want to come? And I go, yeah, all right, I'll do that. And then just get on with it and just do it. And again, you know, skiing at the North Pole really is putting one foot in front of the other. You know, just get on with it and, and you get there and you go, right, we're there. And then come back. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but you, you hinted to the fact that 
you weren't necessarily surrounded by a bunch of other psychopaths. No. You, 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 if you had have been able to interpret some of the emotion, you would have seen fear. You would have seen yes. people um, hesitate and, and therefore from that cascade, that loss yep. of integrity, firepower and life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how do they cope? Um, how do they cope what, in that, that military environment? Well, in, in, in a lot of cases, it's all right. You're certainly at a younger stage. Um, uh, loads of, you know, young lads. And again, because they, you know, watching TV, playing films, there's a sort of fantasy element to it. Some of that sort of evaporates during the, the basic training stage. But as soon as they get on, on, on operations and the first time they get shot at and have to shoot at someone, which is an unnatural act, mm. some people do like lose it a bit. And that's where that, that command and that control comes in to try and get them into the, it's very easy actually to get 18 year old you know men and women to kill people it's a very easy system to to get people to do that but actually it it's it, it's getting them over that 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 parapet you know and once that's done that's done that first time is quite sort of scary for people actually um because all, all of a sudden they become aware of their own mortality um you know they're up to their nose in kevlar and they've got an helmet on and all that sort of stuff but there's still people getting blown up so what happens is is that, is that they you know the reality sort of boom, and it, and it, and actually physically as well. I'm sure it happens in sport where all of a sudden it's really hard for them to hear. It's really you know they get narrow focused. All mm. those where the the body's just putting all the resources into things that are important, you know. And nine out of ten times that's the problem ahead. So let's narrow the focus right. and, and and look at that. So you're trying to deal with that at the time, which which leads to some of those cock ups that certainly younger. Uh, people have during that that environment and then when they come back again going back into times like, just tell them well it is all right of course it's all right doesn't matter you know if you think everybody was you know like you know not shitting yourself you're wrong whether that's true or false doesn't matter it just makes them feel a, a, a lot better but you, you can get over it and, and many people do i got a really weird one of these trips i've done in afghanistan these these uh advisory trips i was on a foot patrol um 16 air assault so it's parachute regiment um patrol and uh the uh the patrol medic was a female fijian from the you know medical corps so they carry the same kit same weapons everything because they're on the foot patrols and all this so contact started contact firefight contact starts uh you know the the, the, the patrol start taking in uh uh taking rounds and there was a young lad first first I should imagine first patrol, I don't know, but, you know, young 18-year-old uh, uh, lad. He's on what's called a Minimi, which is a small, light machine gun. And trying to get the machine gun working, and he's flapping, and, he, he, you know, he couldn't manipulate it. He, you know, everything was going wrong. The Fijian woman ran over, picked it up, and stood in the sh – and, and it's a light machine gun. She put it in the shoulder and started firing it and and, uh, and putting the rounds down into the, into the compound where the, where the Taliban were. So this young, like eighteen-year-old, like felt really sort of embarrassed and showing up and all all that sort of stuff. And the patrol commander was excellent afterwards. You know, the, the parachute regiment uh, uh, corporal, and basically he said, uh, he said, "Oh, the first tour in Iraq. That's what I done. Don't worry about it. Oh, you know, wow. don't worry about it. Don't worry about it." And the, the Fijian woman was good as well, where she just went, you know, she says, I "Don't want to do that again." In fact, we all had to start running. Because it was it was only a small patrol, and there was going to airstrike going to come in and take the compound out. So we started running, 
And she had a Walkman with her and put her earbuds in. She's like, oh, fuck that. I don't want to hear any of that. So she just started <laughs> running with her earbuds in. And we all started legging it. But it was good <laughs> in a way that, 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 that you know, the, the, the patrol sort of helped him out, actually. Did you really keep her on? Did you keep her in the squad? Did you keep her with you? He'd keep her on. Yeah, yeah. He's got no choice. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> he had no choice. She was the medic, you know. But it's interesting just on that. It's like men and women have been on, like, on combat patrols for years. You know, there's legislation now that they can join what are called T-farms, you know, fighting arms. But they've been part of it for years. Um, but it just hasn't been, you know, some legislation hasn't been there to make it legal. So, I mean, you, you started... Um you mentioned at the start of the conversation about not everybody um, recognizes that other people actually like to fight and they get confused by that. They get upset by it. Um, Have have you thought about your role? You know, uh, it sounds like a bit of an existential question, but your role to society, besides the fact that, right, I'm into this, this is, this is my kind of thing involved in operations and patrols um but have you thought just about the the value that you bring to to a society to a group to a tribe do you know um uh to the tribe to the 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 military tribe yeah very much so um but even as a, a young squaddy um there and i've experienced where there's never been any value given by the real world so all of a sudden you become even more insular and it's like fuck them you know um uh and well i think what certainly what happened was that you know soldiers living in 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 garrison towns and and obviously because of you know what was going on in northern ireland where soldiers and their families were being killed on the mainland and there was bombing the military retracted within security sort of you know compounds of garrison towns um they weren't public on the street anymore that you know they weren't hitchhiking home at weekends all that that sort of stuff no uniforms so what happened is population lost contact with their military you know it was it was it was your neighbor's next door kid has gone to join the army or navy or whatever and that was about it so there was no sort of emotional connection even to the point where i as a 19 year old i won uh, uh one of these these decorations called the military medal so you go and see the queen you do you know all that sort of stuff in that so off i go very very proud day next day I came back to Tidworth, the garrison town, where I was based in, in Hampshire. And I went to the bank. There's only one bank. Every, you know, every squad he had to join Lloyd's Bank. Um, so I went to Lloyd's Bank, and it was to get whatever it was, £20 out or whatever it was. And this is a garrison town, by mm. the way. And actually, what I was, you know, you're lining up, and then you get put to the side while more civilians came in to get served. You know, and I'm thinking, well, so all of a sudden, 19 year old, good, you know, just seen the Queen yesterday. Yeah, I got me medal, all, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I want to get some of my own money out of a bank. And I had to wait why three or four civilians went through. So all of a sudden, there's a, that even more of an alienation. And then so uh, I really didn't care at all what, if you like, the real world or good or bad, right. quite frankly. I used to, um, one of the things that used to happen was, again, as a young soldier, to get what was called the mail train, which was about half past one in the morning from Waterloo Station to Andover, which was the nearest station to Tidworth, this military garrison. And so you'd be there in time for the first muster parade, you know, eight o'clock, all that sort of stuff. You get in. 
um, so we'd be at this, this, there used to be an old caravan selling bacon rolls and cups of tea underneath the bridge at Waterloo Station. And the anti, whatever it was, Northern Ireland or get out of Northern Ireland, all these sort of lads. Uh, so you used to uh, uh, drive past and throw dog shit at you <laughs> while you're trying to get this cup of tea. So they're added to the alienation. So Come it on. actually reinforced more the, the, if you like, the bonding of, of the military, you know. And it's only as you get older and you understand maybe one of the reasons why that is, is obviously there was a, an ideology there about the Northern Ireland situation, which, is, which, you know, people are always going to react in that way. But um, it was that that point of, well, maybe because we were so isolated and people really didn't understand, and certainly what was going on in Northern Ireland. More, more soldiers were killed year on year in Northern Ireland than they were in Iraq and Afghanistan. Hmm. But because it was slow and constant, and then, and nobody really understood that. So what happens is then you become more insular and really like, fuck them. Don't care. Don't mm. care what people think. And I don't care what good we were doing for society, which reinforced the fact is I quite like being in the army because I actually quite liked the fact that people didn't like you or they didn't understand you. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, I, I asked the question as much as anything because, because I think that sport sort of generally, it's sort of entertainment, but mm. then you sort of think, what's the function? You know, there's yeah. there's a an arbitrary game of kicking something about or throwing something about or jumping far, and and I try and compute what was that all about? Why do we get all fussed up about yeah. the sport? And I I sort of think it, it's obviously a, a bit of a metaphor and it's a mimic of of our prehistoric past and so on. But I I sort of imagine what it would fe- have felt like to be in a tribe. And you're going sort of almost thinking you'd probably need a few, for want of a better term, nutters who'd leave the tribal boundary and go, you know what? I think I can see land over there. I'm going to go and have a look. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try and make something to go. Yeah. And they don't come back. Uh, but you need some people to be able to do that every now and again, in the same way that you would have to have people that would say they're going to invade us. I'm going to defend. Um, yeah. you need these extremes of personality to be able to, for a group to survive. Um, no, I, I agree. And, and, you know, and you're looking at even the, you know, the Dunbar theory and all that, you know, the way that even military units are, you know, rifle, rifle company, a hundred people, yeah. you know, and, right. it, and it, and it works to the extent where we had a period in the, in the, in the battalion, uh, again, a sort of young infantry soldier where even within the military environment, we segregated ourselves, where we all shaved our heads. There was two washing machines for the rifle company that we threw down the stairs because we're going to hand wash everything. And we're, it's like really within that environment. And um, it, it, in fact, the rifle company got split up after about six months because it, it, was, it, it was getting sort of a bit weird. It was a tribe within a tribe. Um, but we felt really, really good about it really good and to the point where other people wanted to join the rifle company but it was so extreme it, you know looking back now it was so extreme because even within that environment it was like well fuck them you know we're going to do it our own way hmm. and we're a big firm and we've got guns so what are you going to do so there was a bit of that as well um and it was it, there was, it was it was quite sort of a bit overboard actually you know thinking about it now but at the time it was great absolutely great even married people started to move back into what are called the lines you know the camp and they go, right, we're moving to lines. And they went home at weekends. 
because they wanted to be part of this thing, which then really started, even within that environment, became became a problem. Mm. So many transferable lessons there about creating a team and and a and sense of unity and belonging. Yeah. Um, can I just ask you one last question, Andy? That um, I understand that you you and school didn't connect. Um, no. So was it nine schools? In, nine schools, yeah, it's nine schools. Um, I I'm interested to get just your take on the fact that you're a best-selling author, um, worldwide recognition for what you've written. And I'm just curious because I know that a lot of teachers actually listen to the podcast. And um, I wondered what, if you had a message to to go back to to make school a little bit more productive, what you would say to your teachers. Um, I'm just curious about that that formative part. Yeah. I, I imagine that it would it would it, you know perhaps that dysfunction might have helped your uh, military career, but I'm just curious to know what you would say to your your teachers if you could have yeah. just made it a little bit better for you. Um, well, well, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, sorry. <laughs> it was like oh. <laughs> I, 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 I and again, it was it was that that point of to even as a like I don't know seven or eight year old always knew I don't need to go to school. Uh, you know what I want is money. I don't need to go to school. Um, it's a waste of time. It's boring. Um, uh, even of, 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 I don't know, there was corporal punishment at that, at that time, you know, right. we used to get the cane, go in the book. And I even re- remember, a, even as a, like a nine year old, you know, you get the cane over the hand and I set the example within the school, uh, or to the class or whatever it is. And, um, you know, I didn't realize it was a major deal, even for the teachers, it was a major deal. You know, most teachers didn't want to be hitting children, you know, right. what I mean? it was like, it was a major deal. Um, but actually what I used to do was I used to do is the same as, 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 as when I was a kid, it was at home. If you get hit, it's like not showing anything. And actually I just used to put a little step forward and wait for another one, which you're not going to get, you're only getting the, getting the one. And also, so there was this like resistance to school, not only the fact that I didn't see the point of learning. Um, uh, I resented when I was there. Uh, and, and I, I just hated it even more so the more that that i was at school the more i hated it i even hate the smell um you know of that old victorian sort of floor polish and bold cabbage sort of smell you know she used to have kitchens in the schools and all that so if if i'm going into a school now even if it's a new school i still smell it because i don't like them i don't like schools um I, you know, I don't think no one should go to school till about 19. They understand the value of education. I think it was like, you know, just have freedom <laughs> until then. But that's all I wanted to do. But because I was too confident about, um, uh, uh, everything's going to be all right, you know. And it was mm. when I got in the military, it was then I, I learned that I had the reading age of a, uh, nearly 17 of a, of a nine year old, uh, which is key stage two now, I think, which is really in the, the sort of education parlance now. But, um, because I didn't want an education, um, I just wanted money. So that's why I landed up in, in, in within the Borstal system. Um, but I think to teachers, there was a problem, certainly when I was a kid, because there was lots of, um, uh, replacement, te- I don't know what they're called, replacement teachers, cover teachers. Yeah. So there was never continuity with the teaching staff anyway. 
Um, God knows why they would want to teach in, in these schools because it must be an absolute nightmare for them. You know, want to do the good, but actually just got loads of kids who don't want to be there anyway. Um, uh, so really, yeah, it's really, really difficult. I, I think the more approachable teachers were, uh, the worse it was for me because I, I just thought, well, they were just weak. They're not gripping me. They're not doing right. anything, you know. So it was quite hard one. So the main thing is soy. There was a teacher who used to give me extra milk, used to get the old third of a bottle of milk. The teacher used to give me the leftover milk when I was at primary school, when I was about five or six, which I thought was all right. So I didn't mind going to school when, when she was – but that was it, purely because it got milk at the end of it. it was, it's crazy, isn't it? Absolutely stupid. Mm. Absolutely stupid. But it's that – I don't know. It's too, just, too, just too cocky, basically, and wanting money and thinking that – well, you don't need an education to get money, and clearly you do. Yeah. Well, look, fascinating to chat to you. Um, so appreciative of you giving up your yeah, time and, and, and sharing uh, piercing insights from that, that front line. But um, so many actually real transferable lessons that, that people can reflect on and, and, and apply to their own lives, even if it's just getting some emojis all the way through to uh, to how you can actually develop as a team and and put a process into place that you can get the the debriefing intelligence out of of what yeah. you're doing. So, thank you so much, Andy. No, no, pleasure, pleasure. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I really hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Now, we've got plenty more to come. So if you'd like to support and champion us, then take the time to subscribe and leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you tune in. You can also give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All the links are in the show notes. So in the meantime, have a great week.